This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan along with you. We are a couple days in front of the new year, and uh, we are talking some Minnesota Vikings this week as uh, we wind down the regular season. Uh, Vikings uh, dropping one to the LA Rams that we discussed uh, discussed last week. Um, coming up, coming up just short in that one. Another uh, game that ended up being one score. So every game uh, still for the Vikings this year, 14 out of 15 have been decided by one score or less, uh, which is uh, which is tied an NFL record. Uh, the only one that wasn't decided by one score was the Seattle game. And uh, that game was, was close at halftime. Vikings pulled away uh, late in, in that one. So uh, Matt, another close game, another uh, close loss. And it sets up a, a must-win scenario this week in Green Bay against uh, what, you know, unfortunately we have to admit is probably the best team in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? It, the Vikings are still alive in the playoff race and it's not completely uh untenable for it to happen but man this loss i, I it, it it sucks the energy out of the fan base at least it does feel like that this was a playoff uh dreams crushing loss and i think that you know we, we had our debate a few weeks ago about who was more responsible for the 500 uh, disappointing season uh, that they've oscillated back and forth between. And I said it was the defense. You said the offense. Um, this one, you really have to put on the offense. This was, we, we talked about it last week. We said with Dalvin out, you have to use the short passing game as an extension of the offense. And the thing that has irked me all season is, and I know you feel the same way and it's just become more and more apparent is under um, Clint Kubiak's offensive play calling. It does feel like the offense is boomer bust. You know, we're either throwing it 25, 30 plus yards down the field, 50, 50 balls, or we are throwing it usually on third down short of the sticks. I don't know where the middle passing game is. I don't know where those five and seven yard passes are especially on earlier downs um, to try and ease things on the run game, uh, even with Madison in. And so I think that that, that really killed us um, along with obviously the most glaring issue, which was not getting more points in the red zone, which I still attribute to the play calling where you're at the, you know, first and goal from the nine and uh, multiple times run, run and leave yourself with a, third and seven, third and eight type of distance where it really doesn't set you up very well. And obviously there was the, the drop pass for an interception, which hurt. Um, but really the offense and the play calling in particular and the lack of, um, you know, mid distance throws, I think really cost us this game. Yeah, they, they were not good enough on first and second down. I mean, people are going to point to the two for 12 on third down which they should, that was, it's not good enough to win against a team like the LA Rams who are pretty much a, an all-star team on paper. I mean, they have stars in every position uh, seemingly. And, but, but the, but the, to your point, the average distance to go was like seven yards on third down. So you're going to be two of 12 when you're facing that type of consistent third and long scenario. Uh, you know, the, the, the first and second down uh, plays were just not good enough. They were not efficient in the running game, aside from a couple long ones from Madison. Uh, he was not effective. Um, and, and I don't totally blame him. I mean, it was his first game coming back from COVID. He didn't have Dalvin Cook. Um, Kenne Wangwu was a non-factor, uh, mostly in that game. And, uh, you know, they just couldn't find anything consistent on the ground. I think they've they've thrown a lot of wide receiver screens and Kirk's uh, apparently audible to a lot of wide receiver screens. But to your point, the, I think the intermediate passing game of like 15, 20 yards 
hasn't really been there consistently. We saw it for a little bit when the offense ticked up against Green Bay and against uh, Baltimore and against the Chargers in that stretch there. We saw the intermediate passing game reemerge a little bit. Uh, and that's where Adam Thielen is so, so missed because uh, he's really good in that, in that yardage situation. But uh, we haven't seen it enough. And it, to your point, it's either a bomb down the field or that wide receiver screen, you know, right at the line of scrimmage. And uh, the, the, the number of three and outs have been so frustrating. And it goes exactly contrary to what Mike Zimmer wants to do um, offensively, even though this has become more of a passing offense this past couple of years. Zim still wants to control the clock, control the ball, and, and, and run the ball. And, and that's what you have to – if they make it into the postseason, especially without Thielen, they're going to be relying on Dalvin Cook. And we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Mike Wobshaw joined us, uh, that Rick Dennison not being on the field, maybe that's had an impact. But whatever it is, this run game has just not been consistent in, in popping off long runs or even those five six seven yard runs where and that's been one reason they haven't been able to close out games because uh, we've talked about that too the way you close out games is four minute offense consistently uh you know running off chunks of yardage and, and and consistently moving the chains but they've had so many times where they're looking to close out a game and they go three and out or they're looking to build upon a lead in the second half and they go three and out um, or, or maybe get one first down. And that hurts a defense that's been injury plagued all year. I mean, it's kind of all ties together because when you're going three and out consistently, you're losing the time of possession consistently. You're putting the defense back out, the, out on the field, uh, a defense that has lost a lot of its depth due to injury, especially along the defensive line. And we saw one big problem in that game that we haven't mentioned in that Rams game. They could not stop Sony Michelle. Um, and the defensive ends did a horrendous job, Wanham and, and Willikas um, and others, at setting the edge in the run game. And that's another thing Daniil Hunter does so brilliantly, uh, is he sets the edge in the run game. You can't run outside when Daniil Hunter is there. He's a true three-down defensive lineman. And DJ Wanham, at this stage in his career, is a pass rusher. But he's not a great run stopper. That's why Stephen Weatherly at the beginning of the season was battling Wanham for a starting job and Wanham's way more talented than Weatherly as a pass rusher, but Zim knows stopping the runs, the number one key. And that's why he was considering starting Weatherly and Weatherly did start a little bit at the beginning of the season. So just a, a, a lot of issues, but uh, the, the main issue in that game, when it, when you boil it down was they couldn't run or stop the run. That's it. Well, and, and, and really, when you talk about everything being interconnected, let's, let's be honest. The biggest concern for the Vikings, I know even with the defense being awful last year, the thing that fans have been clamoring for for multiple years now, ever since that, that great run in, what, 2017, was fix the offensive line. And they've continued to kind of patch it together and do the bare minimum to make it work without actually fixing the offensive line. I think your Denison point that you had with Wobshaw is a really good one and could explain some of it. But let's, let's be honest. You look at the, the, the grades for our linemen and you watch them play and they're just not there's some talent mixed in there, but they're not doing a good enough job. And you, you still, um, you know, Cleveland has stepped up this year, which has helped. Derisaw is going to be really good and is getting better. And obviously O'Neill is a stud, but the reality is, is that center was still a concern. Even if you hoped Bradbury was going to take a step forward and you knew that that right guard position was a problem. And, when you've got two linemen positions uh, that are just not, not just okay. They're, they're bad. They're, they're bad. They're clear holes that really creates problems for getting the run going, 
and for getting the pass, you know, going consistently and having that mix. And no matter how good you are, um, you know, like, you know, if, if you don't have a good line, you can't, and you can't get a, a slightly balanced offense. It doesn't matter how good of a quarterback you are. You can only do so much, you know, and I think, and, and especially if you're not very mobile as Kirk is, and there were a few times in that game where Kirk actually dis- didn't hesitate to run. I actually was encouraged by that, even though he should have gotten the first down on that one, you know, he, he, he's just, it's not his forte, but the reality is, is when Tampa Bay signed Brady, the first thing they did in the draft is they addressed the offensive line with worse. And they went and they signed someone else, I forget who, on the line to fix it. Because they knew if you get that set up, you can play complimentary football. And Tom Brady, obviously the best ever, can throw it around all day and get people open. But it is Rick Spielman's greatest failure in my mind as a GM is his inability to fix the offensive line where it is a top 10 unit in the league, which is what you need it to be in order to seriously contend for the playoffs, seriously contend for a Super Bowl, and in particular for someone like Kirk who doesn't have that mobility to really extend the plays um, like you should. Yeah, and he's improved in that area, but but that's not his forte. Like you said, I, I don't think it's due to a lack of trying from Rick Spielman to address the line. Like, they've They've attempted to, but they haven't been good enough at it. And Ben Lieber tweeted something out during the game that, or after the game, can't remember exactly the timing, but he was saying, like, we're getting beat up on both sides of the line. And it just made me think, like, how many times have we said, we've said that since the 2017 NFC title game when they lost to Philadelphia and really got handled by that Philadelphia defensive line? We've said that since then. So, but, you know, to Spielman's credit, he's tried to address it. He tried to address it immediately the next year with Garrett Bradbury. He tried to address it with, uh, you know, Wyatt Davis this year. Uh, I, I don't think Ole Udo was supposed to be starting, certainly not for an extended amount of time this season. He's had to do so out of necessity, and he did have a good camp. But you, you don't expect a seventh-round pick to come in and be starting. That was not... I mean, maybe in a dream scenario, if he develops well, and he's developed okay, uh, but not to the point where you are going into next year saying he's going to be your starting right guard. Um, so the, the the biggest problem I have with the drafting since Kirk arrived, and I think I might have mentioned this last week, when you bring in Cousins, and I totally supported that move, 100%. That was the only, that was the only uh, reasonable move to make at quarterback following 2017. So they make that move. But when you have a high-priced quarterback, whether it's Patrick Mahomes or Kirk Cousins or anybody, you have to nail your free agent and draft moves at a higher rate than you would with a quarterback on a rookie deal. You just do because the money there's less money to go around. So the guys you get on cheap deals and the few expensive free agents you get have to hit. And we haven't seen that enough since Kirk arrived. I'm not saying it's been a total failure. I mean, they got Justin Jefferson. He was the fifth wide receiver taken. And, and you can say like he fell into Rick's lap. He did to a certain extent, but when you have the fifth wide receiver taken and he turns out, to be like on a hall of fame trajectory as JJ is most yards in the history of the game for somebody through his first two years. Yet some people are still complaining. He doesn't, they don't feed him the ball enough. I mean, uh, sure. At time, maybe in a game or two, but like overall, I think they've been pretty well developing this guy. So, um, but, but they haven't hit enough. And, and, and what points to it most of all the third round this year, and they took a couple developmental players in Kellen Mond and Chaz Surratt. But the other two that they took in the third round were Wyatt Davis and Patrick Jones. And those guys were supposed to be able to play. They no question took Wyatt Davis to start eventually. Maybe if not game one, certainly by the middle of the season, he's been a non-factor. He has been invisible. 
It is a mystery. Inactive for most games. Patrick Jones has played at a very minimum level. I mean, he's, he's played very little. So the third round was an, was an absolute failure, at least from this year's perspective. And when you are a team with Super Bowl aspirations and you have four third round picks and no second round picks, thanks to that unique Ngakwe trade that didn't work out, you have, if you don't decide to trade up into the second round, which he didn't because of the high price, which, okay, if you're going to do that and use the third round picks, you need to hit on them. At least one of them or two of them, he's hit on zero of them so far. They may turn out to be good developmental players, but that's not what we were shooting for with a team that had to win urgently. And, and you know what, Marshall, it, you're right. We, there are always things happening behind the scenes, you know, where they're trying and, and you have to, you, you, you say, you acknowledge that they try to trade for Trent Williams. That clearly would have, you know, solved a lot of issues and, and the injury yeah. concerns with him that were there uh, has, have turned out to not be an issue because I believe he was named to another Pro Bowl um, and he's just been just unbelievable. But at some point, you can acknowledge that they've tried and still say it's the old Star Wars adage. You know, it's there is no try, there's do or do not. And in the do or do not, you know, binary evaluation, Spielman has not done it um, when it comes to the offensive line. It's just they have not worked. And to your point, how many – I think the biggest thing you need you can criticize Rick, and a lot of people have focused criticism on, on Zim this year, is this whole strategy of we are going to collect as many sixth and seventh round picks as possible and, and get late-round guys and, and try and um, squeeze as much value out of them as possible. But at some point, you need to just, you know, just make the move. And even if it might backfire and you might lose your job over it, but none of this like tinkering around the edges and hoping that something pans out because you're right, you know, and and I'm biased, but, you know, I told you beforehand, it's like, go get Jeremiah Wosukaramo in the second round that he's he guarantees he's going to work. He's dropping, go get him. And I'm not saying that, you know, that would have been nice to have, but it's like a, no, we want to keep the four third rounds and we can get someone like Chaz Surratt and he might develop a later, later on. And we can, we can, we, we can try and use one of these guys is going to work out and none of them have. And the Wyatt Davis thing is just confounding, but everyone knew you needed to fix the offensive line and go. Yes. Sometimes you have to leverage the future a little bit in order to make it work. And for whatever reason, they have not done that on the offensive line and just done it to figure it out. And I do think that you're right about the late game scenarios and, and, and the lack of him getting going this year and the pressure that's put on cousins. And he's elevated it in many ways to overcome it in the clutch and, you know, hats off to him for that. But then the middle of the game, when you need it to be wearing those other guys down um, and having the more balanced football team and giving the defense the break, they've not been able to do it because they're because it makes them less successful on first and second down and then they're in a position on third down where the odds are you're not going to be converting a ton of third and sevens it's just everyone even the best quarterbacks are going to struggle with third and sevens and or greater on a consistent basis and that's why we have a lot of three and outs and you know it's why the vikings more than likely are not going to make the playoffs because they weren't strong enough or deep enough in the trenches and in particular on the offensive line to overcome the other deficiencies. The, I mean, the other, the other, and the, and, and the depth, they've had good depth at defensive tackle. They've gotten good seasons out of Armin Watts, James Lynch. They've had some guys develop nicely on the interior of the line, but they had to sign Everson Griffin in free agency late because they didn't trust their defensive ends. And that was another position where they took two of them. One got hurt, the Janaris Robinson, who has a lot of upside apparently from Florida State. He got hurt for the season. Patrick Jones, though, has not produced a third-round pick who you expected to produce. And because he wasn't in training camp and they weren't satisfied with Wanham in the running game, they went out and got Everson Griffin, who did a great job before, you know, sadly uh, suffering, you know, for the, from the – the mental, the mental issues that he's dealing with right now. 
the other thing, it, and, and the guy I told you I wanted was Aziz Ojolari from Georgia, who is an absolute stud for the New York Giants right now. Uh, you don't hear a lot about him because the Giants aren't very good, but he's having an outstanding rookie year. There were a lot of edge rushers in that draft, and that was a position of need. And they waited on it until the third round with Patrick Jones, and I think it was the fifth round with, with Janaris Robinson, fourth or fifth. And it, it, it didn't work out. And sometimes, you know, you got to identify a guy and just go up and get him. And they didn't do that. And, and when you're trying to be a Super Bowl team, I know there's less room for error when you don't have as many picks. But also, higher picks have a better chance to contribute right away and long term. And they just didn't do it. You saw, you know, sometimes you have to go out of body. And that's like, I hate to compare different sports, but like, that's my big criticism of the Minnesota Twins front office is like, they have this formula and they never go outside the formula. Like we are never going to give a pitcher a free agent deal of over five years, never. And, and, and sometimes you just kind of break the mold when the right guy is there. I understand having those principles that generally guide you. That's good. That's good. And I do think in general, it's been good that Rick has accumulated picks because that gives you more flexibility in future drafts to maneuver around and trade up. Like he traded up for Dalvin Cook. He made a big jump up like over 10 picks, which costs a lot in the second, even in the second round. That's not a cheap move from a draft capital perspective. He did it. He saw Dalvin Cook. He liked him. He got him. That was a great pick. A great move, a great pick by by Rick Spielman. And but he's that's not his general tendency. And sometimes you just got to break that mold, especially and consider where the point, consider the position of your franchise as well, where this was a huge year and you need as many talented players as possible, not necessarily as many developmental players as as possible. And you know, that not failing to get a pass rusher was was not good even though the vikings are leading the league in sacks still which is a tremendous uh you know testament to the abilities of andre patterson and mike zimmer to still develop pressure despite you know losing daniel and everson uh for as many games as they have so that's that's been good but they haven't had that big pass rusher come in and 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 take over a game uh because they have not addressed that in the draft. I wonder if the COVID cap, you know how the cap for this season was oh, a lot yeah. as a cap. I wonder if that caused, I'm just speculating here. Could that have caused Spielman to say, listen, we're not going to be able, we don't have much cap space to work with. It's a lot lower than it normally would otherwise be. So we can't go and sign as many of those veterans and, you know, uh, to fill in bodies with experience and depth. So that means it, because of that limitation, and even though Brzezinski is the best there is at making getting creative with the cap, we're, we need to keep draft picks to get bodies and hope that these people hit, and it just hasn't worked out. Um, instead, where you and I would have done the opposite and said, well, this is the year you have to hit on something you know, to, to make sure that you fill a position of need, even if you can't fill all of them as much as you would like, you know because of the cap situation so go up and trade and make sure you you have to get the guy that hits rather than going for the many bodies of depth i'm just speculating because the other other one clearly related to that that is just confounding um and where they haven't hit this year is cornerback peterson aside peterson's been very solid and good xavier woods has been up and down i know he got a pick you know in this last game but you know it and smarter people could than I am could could say just how well he's playing. But it seemed it seems like he started off well and then he's not been as good as of as of late. But you know, he'll be gone. I think Cam Bynum yeah, will, I will too. replace him next year. But you know, I'd say overall maybe a B signing. But Breland, disaster. The fact that he continued to be on the field and Cam Danzler wasn't, even though Danzler still has some issues clearly, has is mystifying as a coaching decision. 
uh, no matter what is, you know, obviously there's some behavioral and, and, and other stuff that has happened behind the scenes, but Breland was just bad and should not have been on the field um, for as long as he was getting as much playing time as he should. Mackenzie Alexander, bringing him back has not worked. And I, and I do, again, I know Zimmer knows more than us, um, especially on defense. I do not get why Mac was covering it was your go-to guy in the slot covering Cooper Cup for most of that game. I just I don't get it. Well, been, but because who else been, is the who else is the alternative? I, I mean, we talked about it last week. I would have at least yeah. tried switching up. You know, maybe putting Peterson on him more, maybe trying to you know um, try buying him on him. All I know is that Mac hadn't been playing well. He was like a. He was in the bottom five of, of, of cornerbacks, you know. I think you had to help him season. out, help him out a little more. And you help him out a more. Right. And then inexplicably, you had a DN dropping at one point to cover the flat where Cooper Cup was. I mean, there was some stuff that they did on, on Cup where I, I don't get what the strategy was. Maybe it was just it ended up being the wrong defensive play call against the wrong offense and you got unlucky. But, like, yeah. you know. But in fairness, been- in fairness, they they – Nobody stopped Cooper Cup this year. No, and and they put Stafford on a terrible game. Stafford had a horrendous game. Yes, I uh, I, and I he agree. Stop the run. That was and McVay McVay kind of tried to keep us in the game from going. I, well, that was going to be my that was going to be my point. Marshall is how much of it is us, and some of it has to be us. But but how much of it was just like Mc you know Stafford was having a terrible game. And McVeigh was being stubborn for whatever reason and wasn't just back to the run like they should have. I mean, a lot of that is on them. And don't get me wrong, Barr had a great game and Barr is really good. But both of those things were basically right into his lap. And you had another one that was right into um, – who was it? Um, it was, was it into – First it drive. Into Dancers. It, it, yeah, first drive. And that was so yeah. critical. And and he didn't yeah. come up with it. So um, – Alvin Tomlinson had a hell of a game. He had yes. oh, a yeah. fantastic game. Tipped the one Here's- to bar, put a hit on Stafford that caused another bad pass. Tomlinson and Pierce are both playing very well. This is what we expected from Tomlinson and Pierce. And it's nice to see uh, and, and maybe a, a glimpse of hope going forward. When you're going to talk about the moves that have worked out, Tomlinson, Pierce, Peterson, those yeah. three together. Yes. The problem is, is like you said, it's the D end and then getting into the other cornerback positions that it, that it hasn't worked. And then obviously on the offensive side, we've been lucky. They've been mostly healthy, but it's the offensive line that continues to cause issues. And that's just what, you know, it, it, it's caused them to basically be good enough to compete with everyone, but not good enough to win the close games like they need to or enough of them and put teams away and execute in the middle of the game like they have to. And that's why they're, they're at where they're at. And along yeah. with, I, I am not, some of it has also been coaching decisions um, yeah. and, and whether it was not continuing to be, bring pressure against Detroit, like they should have on that final drive and playing too much prevent in these end of game situations, end of half situations, uh, clock management, to going for two point conversions early, just the, the, there've been stuff that you have to, you have to scratch your head and say, Zimmer, what are you doing? And then, and then I, I briefly, we should talk about Kubiak. Um, I, I, was he elevated too early in his career? Um, was he, does he still have the potential to be a good offensive coordinator? I don't know the answers to that. And I don't know how much of it is him versus, you know, and what he's allowed to do versus what Zimmer wants as an offensive scheme and how that, you know, works together with the personnel you have and the execution on the field. There are all those factors, but I do think we, we have to acknowledge it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. And you know, I don't know how much of that is, as I was saying, is Zimmer versus Kubiak versus the players versus Spielman, but I, if Zimmer somehow keeps his job, you know, and Spielman somehow keeps this job, I don't see how you stick with Kubiak as offensive coordinator. It's just there too often. You've had hatching decisions, the offense just disappearing in the middle. It, the offense not having a clear identity, um, you know, red zone calls that make no sense. Um, that it just, I don't like it. And you know, my, I'll just briefly say my, my personal view is, 
I don't, I'm not saying that, that Clint wasn't qualified. Um, but to me, the nepotism that exists within the organization with Zimmer, with Adam Zimmer and Clint Kubiak, I think creates conflict of interests that should have never happened. And outside of, of a, an organization like the Vikings and certainly outside of sports, they would have been unacceptable arrangements because of those conflicts of interest, not saying they weren't qualified. I'm just saying, I do think that that is a conflict of interest that put them in a bad position, regardless of how they worked out. It, it does happen in, in sports all the time. Um, and that's another conversation we've had off air and we can talk about some other time if we want to, but um, that, that kind of stuff does happen. My bigger problem with it was, and, and I failed to really see this at the time, but now it's, it's easier to see in hindsight, in fairness. Uh, I think there was such a desire to maintain the same type of offense for Kirk because he has had so many different offensive coordinators, even going back to his time in Washington and some really good ones, some really good ones who are now head coaches like Kyle Shanahan and Kevin Stefanski. But I think out of this desire to keep the same offense, you, you sacrificed experience in the play call. And this is a pretty common type of offense, at least the zone blocking scheme, the heavy play action, the bootlegs, all that. I mean, Gary Kubiak in large, in a large way created this offense and you have Kubiak disciples all over the national football. It's not like you couldn't have found somebody to call this offense. I mean, Rick Dennison has been an offensive coordinator before, uh, even if you wanted to go that route. Um, but I think the, the, the desire to keep that continuity made you sacrifice some experience and take a risk in Clint Kubiak that for the most part has not paid off. We've seen glimpses of brilliance, like that play call that uh, against the Bears on the road that that got Smith Marset wide open in the end zone yep. using JJ as a decoy. We've seen, and, and and I have no doubt that he's a young, really smart offensive mind, but he hasn't figured out how to how to really blend play calls throughout the game. We saw earlier in the season, and still the offense just gets stuck for long periods of the game, long stretches where it's like three and out, three and out, three and out. And that puts the defense on the field and just creates an untenable situation for the end of the game. Um, but I think that was the problem. And, and I don't think the offense has been nearly as similar as they thought it would be. I think Clint has made a lot of changes in some part due to the loss of Irv Smith Jr. maybe and not running as many two tight end sets and two wide receiver sets. He's run much more three wide receiver sets and much less play action. And it, it, it just, like you said, they haven't had an identity all season, team-wide or offense-wide. And it, it's, been, it's been a problem. So, yeah, I, I think whether it's because of a new coach, a new head coach, or the same head coach, um, coming back next year, I think you've got to make a change offensively because that, that's been a big, big problem for this team. Well, you made a really good – I think the other thing, Marshall, was it was the wrong hire, even for continuity purposes, given this team was at, the town had, try and speed, with the fact that you have a defensive – so if you wanted – and yes learned it from his you know it has a lot someone his father to ideas off of that you know look at what Andy Reid has done where people can learn under Andy Reid and you really allow someone to be you know tutored to that role and fall on strength as an offensive minded guy when you need to, but the problem is, is elevating coordinator team compete with anyone almost with a head coach who you couldn't fall back on because he's not an offensive 
his off team, arguably, this is my doesn't fit the strengths of the team. And so it, it creates a position where I'm, I don't, I do question some authority Clint has the game even that he wants because Zip wants the off identity to be, creates this muddle and has for a while. I get it. You don't want to go completely outside and someone to get John D. Filippo. And that was a problem. Exactly to your point, not have gotten someone who went according to form, who had that experience, who still fit the style, but knew how to beautiful, was an offensive mind and as the pieces you had and found consistency. Uh, you know, it just... Um, it just hasn't worked, and it, it maybe Clint could be better with more reasoning and in a different situation because situations do matter. Um, but it just it it has not worked, and I think it has led to some of the dysfunction on the offense that has really hurt this team. Yeah, it has. It hasn't been as bad as uh, John DiFilippo. It, it doesn't merit an in-season firing for insubordination like John DiFilippo had. Uh, that was just a disaster. I mean, for Kirk's first year to be coordinated by John DiFilippo, and they still almost made the playoffs because they were really talented. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was a disaster. Um, finally, uh, let's get to this Green Bay game. Um, this game is uh, the newest, most important game of the season. It's on Sunday Night Football. It's going to be very, very cold, uh, colder than normal. Uh, this time of year in Green Bay, you're talking single digit uh, highs and potentially wind chills of, you know, 15, 20 below. Um, we'll see what the wind is like. I think that will be something to watch because cold alone is not going to affect the passing game as much as wind might. So let's see what the wind is like. And I'm hoping it's really windy. I'm hoping it's kind of like it was last year where it wasn't as cold, but it was really windy, and Dalvin Cook scored four touchdowns on the Vikings' first four drives, setting an NFL record, and had well over 200 all-purpose yards. They couldn't stop him. They're going to have to lean heavily on Dalvin in this game, in, in the running and passing game. And my biggest concern actually is not Aaron Rodgers, uh, as, as blasphemous as that may be to say. Um, I think he's going to do his thing. I mean, Zimmer and Rodgers will have a back and forth I think all game, kind of a, a, a cat and mouse game, as we saw in the first matchup. Zim confused him in the first half. Rodgers adjusted in the second half, couldn't be stopped. Rodgers will do his thing as long as the wind doesn't prevent it. But can the Vikings stop Aaron Jones, who didn't play in the first meeting, and A.J. Dillon, who they did a pretty good job against in the first meeting? Uh, can they stop that two-headed monster and control the clock keep Rodgers off the field as they did on that final drive in the first meeting. And, and that's going to be on Dalvin Cook and the offensive line mostly. And it's going to be on, on Kubiak to create third and manageable situations. Because if you can't control the clock in a game like this, this could be one of the few, the, the, the first game where they get blown out. If they cannot control that clock offensively and then that running game defensively. Well, first, I, I want to talk about the most important issue in this game is what is the status of Aaron Rodgers' toe? Because if, if, if we don't, if, I mean, is, he, is it really going to hold him back? I mean, because there hasn't been enough talking about Aaron Rodgers' toe. I mean, it's just, um, it, it just shows you uh, the focus uh, <laughs> that uh, the media likes to pay to certain players over the others. Not much, you know, talk of, Kirk's cracked rib uh, versus Aaron Rodgers' toe, but I'm 100 with you. This is gonna, it, this game is gonna be decided by the trenches. Can we stop their run game? We haven't been stopping really anyone uh, in the run game for most of the season. And if they get that going and control the time of possession and tire our defense out, uh, especially with the the longstanding injury and depth issues and experience, um, and then opening things up for for Aaron, then it is. It could be a blowout. It could be a bloodbath. Um, I don't think we want to get into a shootout with them. Uh, you know, we've seen how that goes before. Kirk can can really sling it in a in a. Uh, but it 
looks reminiscent of the LA Rams game from a few years ago. Um, so I think really you have to, especially the weather and where it's at, wear them down and get the run game going. And, you know, obviously, you know, Dalvin is good enough to put the game on his back and do that. It's can this offensive line uh, do what they did uh, when, when Dalvin was able to do that a few weeks ago um, and really control the line of scrimmage against a, a beat up green Bay defense. They, they still are missing some key players and you have to do that and keep Aaron on the field. And obviously Zim is usually coaches up in these games to try and uh, confuse uh, better quarterbacks, but it's going to be interesting. I'd say the other, this is just a small thing, but I think, you know, correct me if you think I'm wrong, Marshall, but with this game being the Sunday night game, it's possible. I believe that green Bay could, could they clinch the number one seed if the, Rams, if the Rams and Tampa lose earlier in the day? I think Dallas is a factor, too. Oh, and uh, Dallas. Is- and actually, I looked at this. If Green Bay ties Dallas in a two-way tiebreaker, Dallas has the edge because Dallas has a better NFC record. They've only lost one game in the NFC this year, whereas the Packers have lost two games in the NFC to the saints and the Vikings. So um, yeah, that race for the number one seed is fascinating. I don't think they can clinch it by the time of the Sunday night game. And I also know the Vikings cannot be eliminated before the Sunday night game either, no matter what happens earlier in the day. So that game is still going to mean a lot to the Vikings. And I think that matters, even though the Packers are going for that number one seed, the Vikings are the more desperate team. And that was the case the first time around. And I do think that in a close game does make a difference Um, in a really cold atmosphere. I do think mentally that does make a difference. And one thing you can say about Zim is despite everything that's gone wrong this year, this team has not quit. This team has not been blown out despite starting slow in some games. They fought back in some games. And despite, you know, when every time you think it's going to fall apart, they win one to keep themselves in it. Like they, you know, when they lost to the Detroit lions inexplicably on the road, they came back the next Thursday and went up 29 to nothing on Pittsburgh who had just come off a big win. So uh, every time you think they're out, they find a way to stay in it. And if they win this game, their playoff chances go up over 50%. And it would be a situation where, um, they would go into the final week with a pretty good shot to make the postseason uh, in a home game at, uh, against the Chicago Bears. So I do think that that desperation factor could come into play. Uh, but, but again, it, it depends, on, depends on if they can stop the run and find a way to run it themselves. The other final point I'll make is Justin Jefferson murdered the Packers in the first meeting. Now, Thielen was playing, I believe, in that game. So that that was a factor. But they tried to cover him with Stokes. I hear Jair Alexander might be back for this game. That would be a very tough first assignment if you're asking him to shadow Justin. I don't think that will happen. Um, I think they might use some combination of Stokes and Alexander to cover him. But uh, J.J. killed him the first game. So you can't go away from that either. Uh, unless the wind makes it impossible to throw. You have to still feed Justin Jefferson. But Dalvin Cook is the key to this game offensively. And, and oh, the last thing I was going to say was, we'll see how quickly he can bounce back from COVID. Remember, I don't know how serious his case was. Um, and we'll see. I mean, Alexander Madison admitted he was a little slow uh, due to his recovery from COVID. That can knock you out pretty good. But I don't know how serious Dalvin's case was. It could have been asymptomatic. Um, and, he, and he was activated because of the revised protocols. They, we were going to have to have a situation where he took a test the morning of the game to see if he could play. But because of the new revised protocols, he was activated, and now he's, he's good to go for the game. Yeah, no, it's, it is going to be a, uh, a lot for just all of a sudden come back um, and dominate this game. Um, but that's what we're going to need to see happen, um, you know, in order to, to your point with Thielen being out, to open things up for J.J. Osborne's got to step up, too. 
Um, you know, Smith Marset's got a setup up, but Osborne has shown flashes of being great. And then he's shown, you know, flashes of being still a young wide receiver where, um, you know, obviously the, the drop uh, right on the edge of the end zone last, last week that got tipped up and uh, became an interception was a problem. I think, was he the one also in the Pittsburgh game that was going on the slant and just got pushed, bodied out, and then it got picked yeah. off too? So, you know, when, where he's just... He's and then he did catch, he caught like a 65-yard touchdown as well on a, on so, a really so, totally. strong curve that, that he, when they needed so, Yeah, he's shown flashes of being a really good wide, third wide receiver, but he's also shown a few things where he's clearly learning and they're just kind of basic things that he, that he's got to do better, um, you know, or execute better. Uh, so that him stepping up like he did in the Carolina game, uh, you know, he could be an ex. If he does that, it would really help alleviate things for this offense because they've got to, and then obviously goes to what didn't work this last weekend. We've got to score touchdowns in the red zone. We, we've got to, the Packers are too good at scoring touchdowns in the red zone and are obviously you know maybe the best team in the nfl or most consistent um and so you uh cannot leave points on the board um so when it comes to prediction um i think unfortunately that we're going to lose this game uh and that will be the end of the season uh and will be the end uh likely end of the mike zimmer tenure as coach um, it might be the end of the Rick Spielman uh, tenure as GM. I think that's less likely to happen, but I just don't sense the, um, that there is a, too banged up um, and emotionally just too drained and haven't shown that we can put it together and have the pieces to um, make it happen. Plus I, I also want to avoid a must win against the bears in the, in the final game of the season because we've seen that show before. And so if it's not going to What do you mean you want to avoid? Well, no, my, my point is, is that counting on this team to pull up the, uh, pull off the upset against the Packers and then still beating at home like they should in order to make it into the playoffs we just we know how that scenario plays i'll out. admit uh, that it that looked out been, in the last game certainly <laughs> certainly has not uh been the way the season has gone uh to expect no. them to take care of business these two games but uh if you can't win with lame duck matt Nagy in his final game as coach and the bears players trying to avoid injury to make sure they don't have to rehab all offseason if you can't win that game, they almost won against the Bears a couple of years ago with Sean Mannion um, in a similar situation. So, well, and that actually, they had already clinched the playoffs, so they were sitting everybody. That's why Kirk didn't play, uh, but and, and many other starters. But come on, if you can't if you can't win that game at home, I, I know that's the Vikings lost a similar game to the Bears a few years ago, but that Bears team was heading to the postseason. As and had one of the best defenses in recent history, uh, and and they played their starters. They didn't have anything to play for, but they were still playing starters and going to the playoffs. They're not going anywhere. They have a lame duck coach. If you can't come home and win a game when you need to, then you don't deserve to be in the postseason. This game, it, this game is far more important right now, and th this this game is the far harder one. And uh, I I think. I think they're going to keep it very close. And I'll just, for the hell of it, just to be contrarian, say they win. Um, and and <laughs> I'll say, I'll say they win. And uh, because of the desperation factor, and I do think it will be very close. Uh, I think Dalvin will keep it close. I think they'll confuse Rogers enough for at least parts of the game uh, to, to keep it close where they won't be able to run up and down the field on it. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say they'll, they'll win and keep it interesting because that's the way this season has gone. The way this season has gone is it should come down to a Greg Joseph field goal against the Chicago Bears to go to the postseason. That's just oh, the way gosh. this season has gone. So it should be a, a close game. And I don't know how they're going to, uh, in what fashion they're going to win, but I think, I think they'll find a way 
to, to pull this off and sweep the Green Bay Packers to the point where now that would be three straight wins over the Packers. Let's just call Lambeau Field uh, U.S. Bank Stadium East. Oh, come after, on. After Give me a break. Over that. <laughs> oh, now, now you just jinx it, Marshall. Now they're definitely losing. They, you, they uh, so last you just year, gave they, the Packers bulletin board material there. Marshall, yeah, Marshall I'm on sure, the bulletin board. Uh, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Matt LaFleur is listening. Um, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the thing is that last year they put one of three losses on the Packers. Uh, they won at Lambeau field and this year they could, uh, send the Packers to their fourth loss and be responsible for two of them. And uh, there's no team, by the way, everyone that wants Zimmer gone, just keep this in mind. The Packers have, since the start of the Mike Zimmer era, we're about 500 against the Packers. The Packers have dominated the Bears and Lions in that time. 14 and two against the Bears. Yeah, we're the only team in the Zimmer era in our division that has even competed with the Packers consistently. I know the bears have won a couple division titles, but aside from those years, they've been horrendous. The Packers Vikings games have been interesting every time, almost every time Zimmer and Rogers have gone up against each other. So if this is the final time they do, I know one person will be happy about that. Aaron Rodgers, uh, yeah. if he comes right. back to green Bay, because going against them, they have a lot of mutual admiration for each other. And uh, this will be fascinating to watch at least one final time. I hope it's more because I'm a Zim fan. So um, I'll say they win. And uh, you had one more point. I just say uh, Vikings fans should be cheering for Washington to beat the Eagles this weekend. That might be a stretch, but uh, possible. Uh, the Cardinals to beat the Cowboys because that would relieve a lot of pressure because uh, you're right, the only team that has the tiebreaker over the Packers is the Cowboys. Uh, so a loss there would go a long way to um, uh, giving the Packers the number one seed, and maybe they take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit. Uh, and then the Panthers uh, to beat the Saints. If you could uh, get that one, uh, that would go a long way in terms of um, if the Vikings win this game, uh, putting them in a position to sneak into that um kind of stupid seventh uh playoff seed but we'll 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 take it for now and uh you can watch that happen all before the vikings play that's the beauty of being on sunday night football um and uh you can watch a full day of football before if you want um but that'll do it for us and uh we will talk to you next week hopefully for that must win chicago bears game maybe a win and end scenario who knows uh so enjoy all the football this weekend um the college football playoff which we touched on last week and uh, we can touch on more next week and also all the nfl games on sunday um happy new year and uh we will talk to you in 2022 for matt gallivan i'm marshall kellner talk to you next time